Hi, my name is Melanie B. Hyland from Norman, Oklahoma, and I belong to several organizations that support and promote local regional writers, whether they are well-established or emerging. This podcast is designed to feature the work and lives of local and regional writers. Today is June 28th, 2021, and my first guest is Norman writer Glenda Huffnagel. Glenda taught at the University of Oklahoma for 42 years. She began as an English major and graduate student and then moved into communication and human relations. While at the university, she also taught on military bases in Europe and in the Pacific, but living overseas is not new to her. Now that she is retired, she has changed the focus of her writing from academic to artistic and therapeutic writing. Her teenage grandchildren find her interesting, which I think is a supreme compliment. Welcome, Glenda. Thank you. Could you tell us uh, something about your current projects and your practices about therapeutic journaling? I um, allot myself, in old age, I have given myself time, which I never had for myself. I was busy um, parenting, very active grandmothering, and then caretaker as my mother died. Um, And so this portion of my life I've spent reflecting, and my writing, as you mentioned, has careened into creativity rather than writing for an audience. So I write to satisfy myself. I'm interested in the redemptive and restorative power of writing and how it heals one's soul. Uh, Part of my training, uh, when I left the humanities, English in particular, I moved to the social sciences. I also am a trained uh, psychotherapist. So I guess if I lived my life over again, now that I'm old and I'm doing a lot of reflection, I would live it as an art therapist. More specifically, as a poetry therapist, which is, in fact, a national organization. So my current writing is creative, uh, uh, journaling, writing, visual journaling, which is collaging along with the writing, and then poetry is my love at this stage in my life. Wow, that's really interesting. I, I like the part about where you said you needed time. And I think I had to be in my 70s myself before I realized that I could make a commitment to myself. And I mm-hmm. think that that happens with a lot of women in their lives. Absolutely. And um, would you like to say anything about the change from uh, the idea of writing academically to artistically, because I know you've won uh, awards for your academic writing. I have, and and, uh, writing for academia is very um, individualistic and solitary. However, then it goes out to the world uh, to a process called peer reviewing. And so... A committee of your peers, um, your work is sent blindly to 
other academics at other universities, and they blindly review your work, and it may or may not be published. And it's a very lengthy, time-consuming, and sometimes cruel <laughs> process. <laughs> can be very uh, disheartening. Um, I did it, and what I did was kind of sidestep the writing in social sciences, which is highly quantitative. They're interested in counting things. I was interested in the quality of things, so my writing was qualitative. I love autobiography and memoir. They're my favorite genres. I love learning from lives. My joy uh, reading is murder mysteries. And uh, your book I was privileged to read early on and thrilled with all the uh, local sights and sounds of our hometown. Um, but creative writing is for myself. I don't care if anyone ever sees it, although I say that and I think, um, as I've told you, about maybe doing a chapbook um, or publishing my poems in one place. Um, but I haven't gotten around to that, and I may or may not. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll send it out into the world. Uh, I just don't want to do um, writing for others anymore in my life. Well, I... I feel the same way, actually, even though I independently published my book, and thank you for the nice compliment. Um, you know, it's it's there if someone wants to read it, but it was the writing of it that, that was the most important for me. So, um, well, tell us about, because I think this carried over from what you did academically to what you're interested in um, therapeutically and artistically, uh, about the themes in writing that are important to you? I am most interested in how we, um, in women's lives. I also taught uh, in a graduate program for 26 years that, like you said, was on military bases overseas and here at the University of Oklahoma. Um, they were graduate seminars and I tapped into a wide, diverse range of people, and it was women's lives um, that interested me most. And in the 1980s, I taught a course in women's studies called Women, Literature, and Social Change. So I'm not interested in women's development in isolation. I don't believe that we are automatists autonomous selves living uh, as little beings out <laughs> alone. Uh, that is the Freudian notion of human development. I believe in uh, the Wellesley Centers for Women uh, created a model for therapy called self-in-relation theory, which evolved into relational cultural uh, therapy. So we don't look at selves, women in particular, as isolated, but we, we look at their connections to each other 
and how they connect to the world and how we are embedded in our culture. And so I use that, uh, for instance, when I did my dissertation long ago, I wanted to use a technique called autoethnography. My committee would not allow me to use it, and I figured, it's my damn <laughs> dissertation. <laughs> but they, I couldn't get it without right. going through their gatekeeping. So I said, okay. So after I finished, then I took what I loved, autobiography and memoir, and I embedded it in culture. And there's a whole new field of writing called autoethnography. And um, my first piece of writing was for a scholarly journal, and it had to do with growing up working class and learning to pass as middle class. We learn uh, children that grow up from impoverished backgrounds um, shape their lives in ways that help them pass beyond their impoverished beginnings. And so I wrote about that and how we uh, become chameleons. Um, but what we, the cost of that is losing the authentic self. So what I've done developmentally, personally, uh, in my own therapeutic work is to go back and reclaim those southern, rural, impoverished beginnings and claim them as part of me, too. So I'm not just a mask, a facade, trying to pass as middle class in the world. I guess I am middle class. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm also a person that can slide right back into, how y'all doing? Looks like somebody cooked something good for supper. And so I can slide back and forth depending on my audience. And for that, I think uh, I'm supremely grateful. So my love is women's lives and how they shape their lives and develop, particularly in responsive ways to the needs of others, too. Well, you've just given us a little taste of your voice. So could we hear something uh, from an autoethnography piece and maybe some of your poetry, too? Sure. Um, so in 2015, I published a book called The Reproductive Lives of 20 Middle-Class North American Women. The one thing, autoethnographic analyses with bibliographical extensions. Well, guess what, y'all? <laughs> I didn't get to pick that title. <laughs> and I knew going in that I had no rights over the title. And so what I understand from the publisher is that horrible title has to do with how books are categorized so when scholars research, they can find it. Well, I wouldn't want to read it if I found something with that title, but nevertheless. <laughs> <laughs> so this was a book that I asked, I sent out calls for papers nationally and got 19 women 
all of whom were academics, to write about their reproductive lives. And they wrote about uh, the beginning of their reproductive life at Menarche all the way through two of us wrote about mothering our mothers uh, and helping them die. So this was a chapter about grief and loss. Uh, It's a chapter I wrote. Uh, It's the first chapter in the book, and it's called Losing Lori, A Mother's Memory of Grief, Rust-Colored Chrysanthemums, and the Kindness of Strangers. And I'll read the first sentence because it makes sense, um, and then skip on. Longfellow wisely observes that there is no grief like the grief that does not speak. This is my attempt to speak my grief and attempt to revisit the death of my infant daughter, a loss that occurred five years short of a half century ago. This remembering took three years to write. This reviewing was painful, but it's my attempt to give voice to the void that has surrounded my daughter's short and difficult death. It's October, and I'm sitting in a small bit of sun at Ford Foods, drinking a cup of strong coffee. It's overcast, but the sun teases those of us in this small college town where we are tired of the weeks of gray, gloomy days. I'm drinking my coffee, remembering another dreary October day. It's early October, 1968, and I am standing in a military cemetery burying my infant daughter among other youngsters, most of whom have recently died in the Vietnam War. Had Lori lived, we would have, she would have been 45 years old this past September. The events that led to my daughter's death, birth and death have shaped in strange ways my own reproductive identity. So that was the beginning of my research uh, into grief and loss. And that's uh, autoethnography. It has an autoethnographic approach because it situates um, the situation in its time and culture. I see. And it was during the Vietnam War, and I was a uh, military spouse and uh, living on a military base in Heidelberg when that occurred. Wow. And so you want a poem? Oh, let's hear a poem. Okay. Now, this the poem is recent? The poem is just one of your favorites? Um, th- well, how many poems do you want? One? <laughs> well, we'll see. Okay. Um, this, well, I'll read this because recently I had a dear friend die. And we both loved poetry dearly. And um, so I read her this poem and told her I dedicated it to her. And um, I was scheduled to teach next month a poetry therapy class, and I was going to use the first line of this as a means uh, and exercise in gratitude. So this poem is called, And Writing Specifically, Concretely, as you and I know, uh, having met decades and decades ago uh, at the university teaching freshman writing. (laughs) Good writing is concrete and specific. So here's my attempt at that. 
Gratitude, a poem in progress. What would I do without birds on branches, rain without thunder, monarchs on, in, on zinnias, cups of French roast coffee, antique clocks ticking, wood smoke, rust-colored chrysanthemums, old cemeteries, handwritten letters, toast with cranberry jam, summer tomatoes, cardinals in pears, dogwoods in April, autumn sweet gums blazing, Virgin Mary stone statues, a crescent moon, poems read aloud, red coffee cups, the afternoon at four o'clock, my dog in my lap, patchouli, fruit in a wooden bowl, light through lace curtains, open windows, the gray cat sleeping in a circle of sun, potlucks on Sunday. What would I do without you in my life, teaching me to love with an open hand? Oh, I love that. Thank Good. you. Good. And uh, I will just say, as dis- make a disclosure that, that the friend was a friend of mine, too. Yes, she and, was a um, mutual joy in our life. She was. And she reached out for life. And in her last moments, her last day, uh, that's a perfect poem for her. For her. Yes, it was. And this is my favorite poem. Um and so this has, um, this is situated on a university campus, and uh, it was some of the military students that we taught. We had 2,500 uh, master's candidates uh, overseas and in Norman who did their master's degree uh, in two weekends. You could do a course. Mm-hmm. And so we were scheduled to meet. Uh, in a particular part of campus, but it was full, so we moved to main campus. Um, and we got it, it was in the fall, so these images come from the University of Oklahoma's external um, background. And we also went on a tour of the library. And sometimes I like to begin my poems with a quote from someone else. And this begins, uh, the title is, to my, and So this poem came about as a meditation to my students as we ended. So I like to end classes with a poem that arises as my um, self-experiences, the students in the class. To my students, a gift of a poem, two weekends in autumn. And this is the quote. No more questions, no more knowledgeable statements, three words. Begin a poem. Take your own life and use it. We sit in a windowed place in a room bathed in October light on a campus landscaped by chrysanthemum and hope. We write of how help arrives in our lives. We talk of theorists long dead and whether we should care what they had to say. What can they possibly tell us sitting here like this in autumn on the southwestern plains? We've come here to affirm what we already know, that choice is as essential as air, that laughter and love should never be rationed, that carved oak angels protect the great reading room, that our ancestors sing truths through us, that sometimes gifts arrive in our lives wrapped in red and gold bows, that the two words thank you have magic in them. 
that all our stories deserve being told. That everyone requires a room scented with lemongrass and verbenia. That we sometimes need to read books backwards. That our visions only arrive out of our silence. That the spaces between us require only a bridge. That our poems are carried in small satchels held close to our hearts. That we all must take our lives and use them. We have come here to feed each other in this room bathed in October light, on this campus landscaped by chrysanthemum and hope. And what I forgot to say is we always ended those weekend classes with a big giant potluck. Oh, And the wonderful. ending was always on Sunday. Right, because <laughs> you, you eat together. You eat. Mm -hmm. But I think that gave us a lot of uh, food for the soul. I mean, I couldn't help but remember being in the inspiring great reading room. I oh. always loved oh, that place. Yes. So yes. the images from that poem are wonderful. And I think they would, even if you don't write for audiences, I, I think you reach them anyway. Uh, so I have a few more questions. Okay. One is, do you have some advice for emerging writers? Write from your heart. Um, examine your heart and write for joy. Um, I, I, writing and reading is crucial to my life. And um, so literacy we take for granted in this country, but Oh, this past year has been a challenge for us all. And one of the things I mourned uh, was book clubs. And dang, I found out they had been, the library had been doing them all along on Zoom. And it really hacked me off at myself for not checking that out. Um, but to me, heaven is really uh, having a group of people read the same book and discuss it. So read and write from what you love, and um, write for yourself. Well, I think you anticipated one of my questions, but um, I, I wanted to ask you something um, I meant to ask you earlier. Um, tell us some of your favorite authors. Who do you like? Um, I love nonfiction. Books about writing. I have two favorite authors uh, that write about writing. One is Natalie Goldberg, and um, she wrote two books that informed my writing. Uh, one of them was called Writing Down the Bones, and the other is called Wild Mind. And she is a Buddhist practitioner who lives in New Mexico, and... Um, Oh, she gives wonderful exercises in her books. I can remember one uh, that I did waiting to go into a doctor's office, and I can't remember which book it was from. It was called, okay, the stem was I'm Remembering, and you just write for like five minutes. Um, and then she had you write I'm Not Remembering and write on that in the same amount of time. And she sees writing as meditation. So writing for her is a meditative practice. 
and I had the joy of taking a Zoom workshop with her, which was a dream, in October through Zoom, uh, through the Upaya Center. Every year, they do a haiku workshop, that, and it lasted the whole weekend. It was pure joy. Uh, the other writer that I love is Annie Lamont, or Anne Lamont, and she writes uh, books on writing and life, and her most recent book, she deals with recovery uh, in a recovery program, and her first book was called Bird by Bird, and I read that when I was teaching writing, and um, the title comes from her experience as a child when her brother had this huge project, writing project, as a boy, and he didn't write on it until the night before, and so he says to his dad, how am I supposed to write about all these birds? And his dad said, bird by bird, son, bird by bird. And that's what she advises us to do when we look at a bird, uh, a bird page. <laughs> <laughs> when we look at a page that's blank, all I have to do is write a word, and then another word comes. I can't remember if it was Natalie Goldberg or Annie Lamont also had the suggestion that you have an index card. When you face a blank page and you're stuck, all you have to do is fill up that index card. Well, thank you. Thank you for all those inspiring words mm -hmm. and for your beautiful writing. And thank you for sharing uh, some of your writing and your thoughts with us. Uh, You're welcome. Really appreciate it. I think that there's just a wealth of local and regional writers out there, and uh, we're just we're just scratching the surface. Good. This has <laughs> been very enjoyable, and I'm honored and privileged by being asked. Thank you so much. Welcome.